A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. The Square Ball Podcast. Welcome to the show. Brought to you with West Yorkshire Electrical. If it's got wires, they say, they will work with it. Um, specialists in all things electrical are West Yorkshire Electrical. Fully accredited, a range of services which are listed on their website. Too many to list here. But they do include solar panel installation for your home or business. I think there's a 0% VAT government offer uh, in place at the minute. They do CCTV for, for your home or your business. Loads of contract work with schools. Um, electrical test and inspection works as well for your home or your business. Loads of stuff. Have a look on the website for a full list of services and they cover the whole of Yorkshire and beyond finance available for work on your home or business and it's wyelectrical.co.uk for details or you can find West Yorkshire Electrical on social media platforms now that is done Phil let's get into it then shall we and uh, we've said before like my happiness is tied into the fortunes of Leeds United in a way that's quite pathetic frankly for a man in his 40s like the alarm went off this morning to come and do this show and I went yes Leapt out of bed, threw the curtains open, saw that the sun was shining, so it clicked my heels down the driveway, zippity doo da, and here we are. Leeds United win, um, 3 0 at Millwall, and the world feels like um, it's all right again. It was excellent. I mean, really, really excellent win that. And I think very, very good performance as well. I'm, I'm not going to pretend that there weren't parts of the game that were your traditional age old championship scrap, and I think that was particularly true at the start of the, of the second half. But I've, I've seen so many mediocre performances down there. I've seen so many awful results, rubbish results, but sometimes in circumstances where you you least expected it. I mean, I, I went back through before the game through the managers who'd actually won at Millwall with Leeds previously. And as we said, that like there haven't been over the years, it's not as if there have been 60, 70 games between these clubs. There were actually very few which is kind of why the needle and the niggle that's developed between them is is kind of strange. And I think if you're an outsider or uninitiated in this, you might struggle to understand why it is that there's so much that goes on around this game, particularly down at, at the Den as opposed to Ellen Road. They love making an event of this Millwall. And I have to say, and we, we talked on the, the pre-match podcast about this, over the years they've been very good at making it the sort of event they love, at making it the sort of occasion that they play incredibly well. And between a sellout crowd and the first five, ten minutes yesterday where they were properly steaming in, you know, that was the that was the tactic, was just to get at Leeds straight away. I thought Leeds managed the game incredibly well. And the difference, aside from the fact that Leeds showed a good amount of backbone, a good amount of spine, which you've just got to do at the den, they brought the quality. The quality was in, in one team. It wasn't in the other. They had those moments in them, like the opening goal, which, to be fair to Farker, I don't think he was overplaying it by saying, you know, stick that in a book and sell it. It's a fantastic goal. I'm, I'm writing about it this morning, just looking back at it, the, the structure of it. They didn't really 
struggle in any position leads. They didn't fail to stand up when they needed to stand up. They didn't fail to realise in, in the moments where the pressure was on that the only thing that mattered was to bail water for long enough until you get the chance to, to play again. It's by a mile the best result I've ever seen Leeds have at the Den. It's by a mile, I think, the best performance I've ever seen from them at the Den. We said that Ipswich away was a bit of a statement win because of the team they were playing, because of the form that Ipswich were in, because of the goals they scored. But this maybe goes a little bit further. Yeah, that opening five, ten minutes was backs to the wall, as I described it on um, on the match ball, which is available in your podcast and your video feed as well. It's on YouTube, as is this. But I actually, I almost like what followed more as a result of that backs to the wall um, first five, ten minutes where they just had to sort of organise, just overcome that initial burst of energy from Millwall who were, who were harnessing the crowd at that point, get themselves organised. Because we, we did see a couple of wobbly moments, didn't we? Like the, the Strauch back header as well that went out for a corner and they just seemed yeah. to be a little bit a little bit on the back foot, wobbling a little bit, but they just held the nerve, rode it out and then waited for their chances, you say, Phil. And then you know, 15 minutes in, 1-0, it was absolutely... It's absolutely fantastic. Can we get to the goal in a second? I just want to, if we can, just touch back on the end of week show that we did on Friday, where we reintroduced Phil's One to Watch, which we did over on the, uh, the Athletic podcast, where you pick out a, an issue person, whatever it might be, that we should keep an eye on for this game. And we chatted about Archie Gray. You said to look out for Archie Gray. I was in two minds as to whether Glenn Kamara might actually come in for this fixture. But then listening to Farker's post-match comments... He made it clear that they'd still not really trained with the side, had they the, the new players because of the international uh, international fixtures. So he's come back into it late. Archie Gray held his place, as you said he would uh, he would do. And I thought he was fantastic in midfield in among a lot of fantastic performances. He It's a big vote of confidence, I think, playing him in that game, irrespective of whether Grave or Kamara haven't been involved that much. The temptation's got to be there. I think for potentially a slightly weaker manager or, or a manager with less confidence in the squad or, or in individual players, the temptation has got to be there to go with your older heads, your your seasoned pros. But I do think that part of the key to winning at Millwall is to let you, your quality shine and to be able to come up with big moments. You do have to, to dig in and you do have to graft. And I think if you're Millwall, it's absolutely pointless having a sellout crowd and, and that sort of atmosphere and not trying to lay it on thick right at the start. You know, that is how you, you have to play. And I don't think Leeds will have been at all surprised by that. But I felt that by the time they scored the opening goal, the game started to level out again. I did think that Leeds were getting into it. They were starting to see more of the ball. They'd kind of quelled a little bit of the, the early fire. And Gray, had a, Gray and Ampadu, again, really big games in the, the centre of midfield. I thought Rodon at the back was, was terrific. As well, and, and little by little, we haven't seen much of Gruev so far. Spence will come on to this, but he, he has an injury. He was only briefly on the pitch against Sheffield Wednesday. But I don't find myself looking at any of the new recruits, any of the new signings, and thinking, I'm not really sure there. I'm not in a position to judge Gruev yet because he was on so late, but the none of them that have played and you've thought, mm, doesn't look like the right fit or doesn't look like good enough or, or particularly sensible addition they all look like they've been targeted intelligently and like they're going to make a difference to this team but Gray yeah Gray was was particularly impressive and right in the middle of, of that goal as well you know picking up the ball on the edge of his box and knowing what to do with it and I think more than anything else knowing what to do with it in the sense of turning defensive situation into a very very quick counter-attack as opposed to just leathering the ball up the field or sticking it in, into an area that reduces the pressure it was just that thought in his head straight away of this is opening up, the space to go at, let's let's go. And yeah, that opening goal, fantastic, wasn't it? It was just such a good move. Do we want to address any quibbles that Millwall may have had with it? It got the crowds back up, but the, the replays 
tended to suggest there was no real problem with it. Sky, the commentators on Sky weren't really having a bar of it. We know there was no handball by Ailing. Replay showed it clearly. No. What about that foul we said on the match ball? Nah, that he was looking for it a bit uh, too much. I, I think probably not. I think he, he probably was looking for it. Having said that, if it had been given and you didn't know what was coming next, I don't think there would have been a, a huge argument over it. I, I, the best way to judge this is probably on the basis of what Gary Rowett said afterwards. And he certainly wasn't asking for a penalty, which it, it wasn't. With the, the foul, he kind of said... The referee's got a decision to make with that one and, and he lets it go. But I thought the referee let a hell of a lot go yesterday. Mm. I mean, it was amazing that we got to the end of that game without anybody getting booked. And while I thought Millwall got away with more than Leeds, I think the Nonto shirt pool was probably the best example of the fact that Kavanaugh just didn't seem minded to to book anybody at all. But no, I think I think it's that that foul on Nis- the challenge on Nisbet um, that Millwall wanted a foul for I-, I think is exactly the sort of thing that you want if it's your team and you then concede it's what you don't want if it's not your team and, and you counter-attack in the way Leeds-, Leeds did I have no problem with the referee letting that play on I-, I think Nisbet probably was looking for it slightly Joel Pirro then scoring again with that goal yeah. just everything in the build up there just makes me smile watching it back and if you actually watch the goal again look how deep Pirro runs from Absolutely, get, and just keep, he keeps going in a straight line, knowing exactly what's going to come if he keeps making that run, and he just continues. It gets on the end of it, and what a great finish as well. Well, we'll watch back his goal against Ipswich again, where he comes from, and some of his positioning. See, we've got the debate going on at the moment about you know should Piro be at nine? Should he be where Ruter is? Is this set up right? Ruter at nine, Piro in at ten, and I think when we we went through the Sheffield Wednesday game, we were saying that because it was so congested and the centre of the pitch because of the way Wednesday were playing and how defensive they were at Ellen Road. It didn't work particularly effectively, but it did work at Ipswich and it did work again at Millwall. And the reason is because, you know, Millwall were more aggressive with their tactics. They were pushing players further forward. Again, if if you look at the moment where the ball gets turned over and where, where Pirro goes in on, on Nisbet and, and Gray comes up with possession, there are eight Millwall players in, in the Leeds half. So there's a huge amount of space in behind to go at. And, and the fact that Millwall have a back three as well means that they're narrow at one moment, but then they have to um, spread slightly to, to go after Nonto, which means that there's a big gap for, for Piro to go through. And what you have is Piro arriving from late, arriving late, arriving from deep, going beyond the last man, giving Rutter, you know, perfectly weighted pass from Rutter, but not a difficult pass to make and just creating a scenario where you're there to finish it off and actually finishing it off is not a difficult task because you've set the attack up absolutely perfectly. I think there are going to be games, as we said with with Sheffield Wednesday, there are going to be games where it's an absolute slog for Leeds and it's hard to get through and it perhaps doesn't work. And on those days, I think people will look at the Rooter at nine, Pirro at 10 and and think it's either the wrong way round or or Pirro's been a bit lost. But I think on days like Sunday, and also the game away at Ipswich, it's easy to see why Fark is going for that and why he thinks that can be pretty effective for him because it does work. Yeah, and, and every time Piro puts the ball in the net, it vindicates the signing of him, doesn't it, for what is going to potentially look like a bargain if he fires 25 goals this season. It's going to look incredible, isn't it? I mean, Leeds United, we were saying about the transfer policy before, Phil, and the fact that all the signings look to make sense so far and seem to be producing the goods on the limited evidence we've seen so far. It's just a case of, Leeds United do obvious thing, obvious thing works. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. With Pirro, like that, that's the sort of chance you'd expect him to finish all season. And I think at the moment, if he stays fit and someone was asking you to put money on whether or not you think he'll go beyond 20 goals, you'd already be saying, I think he probably probably will. I mean, I like the fact that he's not a poacher in the sense that that's all he does. You know, he's not a, 
six-yard box player. It's not like he hovers around there just waiting for chances. He's far more creative in his play and his, his build-up work is, is much better than that. But he is able to do that. You know, he is able to be there, like for that chance that Dan James looked like he was sticking past the far post. Suddenly, Pirro was just there a few yards out and it's a it's a sitter for him, but it's only a sitter because he's got himself into, into that position. I think the money they paid for him, £10 million, I think is, is going to prove to be a real bargain. And again, looking at that forward line, I mean, Rowett said pretty much what Kieran McKenna said after the Ipswich game, was that you, you suddenly in the championship up against a different level of footballer. And when you consider that, you know, Burnley were trying to get Somerville, Everton were trying to get Nonto, there were bids from Europe for, for Ruta. You are talking about a group of players who predominantly could easily be playing at a, a higher level than this. And I think it really shows in moments like that counter-attack. And do you know what? It's nice to see him having a nice time as well because there's been yeah. there was so much churn, so much consternation going on during the window. You know, Nonto obviously um, was trying to leave and Ruta's had a really difficult start to his time in this country. So to see him coming off the pitch with a big grin on his face and just the, just the shit, the joy the unbridled joy in his celebration when he scored as well. I, like, I think it's funny, isn't it, that people have been really annoyed at his signing because we were crying out for a number nine and we got Ruter and yet everybody's absolutely rooting for him as well. He seems like such a nice guy and it's almost created a bit of an underdog narrative with him, hasn't it, despite the massive price tag? But I think the massive price tag and his reputation with other clubs in Europe tells you that he, he should be tearing it up in this league. And I think the criticism over that signing, I don't think was about Ruta per se. It was about the the fact that given what he contributed in, in that second half in the second half of the season from the end of the, the transfer window onwards, and given what Leeds needed, it wasn't right. You know, it, it wasn't right to give them what was required to, to stay in the division. But I don't think that's the same as saying that Ruta isn't a good player or a talented player. I think we could probably argue a lot, and, and I think we would probably all have our doubts over whether at 30 million pounds he's a player that leads are likely to make significant money on. And given that that was the model for a long time in the Premier League, I think you can question the, the kind of wisdom of, of what they did at the moment when they did it. But I asked Farker yesterday if he was surprised that he was able to keep Ruta, given that you know he was a £30 million signing and there are bigger clubs in Europe who who would have taken him and, and do, do fancy him. And he, he didn't say yes, he was surprised, but he, I think he was quite impressed by the fact that Ruta seemed to want to stick around and almost seemed to be saying to himself, I haven't done anything here yet. You know, I've, I've come for £30 million, I've done absolutely nothing to this point. So perhaps I do need to prove myself slightly, perhaps I do need to contribute something to, to kind of justify the fact that that transfer even happened in the first place. And I thought yesterday there was a lot of good link-up play from him. You know, he was he was right, obviously got his goal, Assist for, for Pirro's first as well. But I thought some of his defensive work was pretty good as well. I thought probably the best we've seen of, of him of, of not only contributing in attacking sense, but grafting on top of that. I just feel at the moment like there are a lot of players who, who Farker is getting good performances out of. I really like what that says about his character as well. The fact that he's being prepared to knuckle down and mm. have, have a point to prove regardless of what division we're in. Because we know that that, yeah, so that interest came from high-level European clubs, didn't it? So... He could have easily jumped ship like some of the rest of them and couldn't wait to get out of here. But the fact that he's determined to prove that he's worth the transfer fee, absolute credit to him. And like I say, everybody, I think he's just enjoying seeing him having a nice time because we're having a nice time with it as well. On Dan James, though, a, a slapstick element to his contribution to the second goal. But him coming on really opened the game up, didn't it? Like He yeah. found, found himself with acres of grass to run into. As Millwall started making attacking subs and they were pushing forward to the other way, it looked to me like 
it gave Dan James just a load of space in which to run and be at his most dangerous, even if he uh, even if he stumbled over that ball at the end. Well, you've got a decision to make, haven't you? Now, when when you play Leeds, how heavily do you commit? How much do you go after a game? I mean, if you're trailing in the circumstances where Millwall were trailing, you don't have an awful lot of choice. You know, you you have to commit players forward more and more. But I think if you're picking through the game so far and looking at what happened at Ipswich, looking at what happened against Millwall on Sunday, the blueprint against Leeds is absolutely not to get caught upfield. You, you, you're going to suffer badly. And the big asset Dan James has is his pace. And in those circumstances, it was tailor-made for the game. Like you say, it was, it was opening up. There was loads of space for him to to get into. And yet it was you know, it was an, an assist by default for, for Piro. He should have stuck that away. And it looked like, Looked like being a fairly fairly shocking miss, but did the right things for for Ruta's goal. You know, laid that on on for him. There is a bit of depth on the bench. The, the bench on on Sunday yesterday was as strong as it's been at any point. And actually, you're starting to look through it now and thinking that the definite game changers on there. And I think that's a that's a big factor for Leeds. I think that will will be critical as the season season goes on. And I think Fark will be quietly hoping that he's got a good week ahead of him here. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. And just to round off the goals as well, the 3-0, nice composed finish from Ruta himself. As I mentioned just there, he, uh, he enjoyed the celebration anyway. But again, nice work from, from Dan yeah. James, wasn't it? Yeah. I didn't think Somerville had a bad game yesterday. I thought Nonto took a lot of hammer, Nonto. I think he's going to get fouled to death in this league, I would imagine. But really difficult to um, to defend against and, and really difficult to cope with because his stamina is good and, he, and he'll, he'll keep going. But I think when in the last stages of the game, you can put on somebody with with Dan James's pace against the defense that's tiring slightly. It is going to make a is going to make a difference. And as I say, I think Leeds are kind of showing the the caliber of attacking play that is going to make other managers think long and hard about what to do against them and, and how best to play. And I, I don't know whether it when reflects on yesterday's game, whether he'll think that actually the circumstances around it, the sellout crowd, the intensity that you always get at Millwall when when Leeds are that in town didn't work for him particularly well because 
it was almost essential and unavoidable that they had to play on the front foot. But as the risk is you're starting to see against Leeds is that if you do play heavily on the front foot and leave yourself wide open, they, they will cut through you. Good performances as well um, in the defence. Uh, I thought Byron was excellent coming back into the side. Jamie Shack's a little bit unlucky to be to be benched, but when you saw Byron's performance, I thought it made sense. Um, as you mentioned, Joe Rodon as well. Pascal Strike was strong. Yeah, um, I think you're right about Byron. It wasn't that Shaq wouldn't deserve to be dropped after the Sheffield Wednesday game. But again, it's it's a good, you know, that's good management and good decision that Byron comes in, plays like that. And nobody can really, I don't doubt that Shaq would be disappointed about the team, but nobody can really argue that it, it was a, a mistake or or an error. Rodon, I think, has, has had a really good start at Leeds. I, I just think, again, looks like a very strong, steady signing at, at centre-back. And it cannot be a bad thing that you suddenly on two clean sheets on the bounce, given that Leeds seem to have abandoned the concept of clean sheets completely <laughs> for like the last two or, two or three years. Um, I, I, I still don't think that defensively they're, they're absolutely perfect. But again, you, you have to be fair to Farka and say that it was appointed the day before the first pre-season training session. You know, it was a real scramble through the summer. You would like to think that as time goes on, they will get better. You'd like to think that they will start to find their groove properly now that they have a bit of clear water to just play games and, and worry about nothing else. And and even though the, the, there are still injuries in the squad, they're not so severe at the moment that they're really causing a problem. Um, and I think he'd be pretty happy with his depth. Yeah, just rounding off the uh, the talk about defence, Luke Ayling looked a little bit more solid um, compared to recent performances, I thought. And um, in the right-back slot, you mentioned yeah, Jed Spence has, has got this injury, this um, knee ligament injury. It wouldn't be Leeds if we didn't have some sort of injury. No, I, I mean... <laughs> It's a little bit like transfers. Supporters of every club think their club take longer to wrap up transfers and mess about more with transfers than everybody else. And it's a little bit like injuries. You know, everybody thinks they have more injuries than everybody else. But really, it, it affects clubs right across the game. And Leeds at the moment, they do have some, but you'd feel like it's a bit more like your fair share as opposed to the previous seasons where it's felt like virtually the entire dressing room has been or a full 11 has, has been unavailable. I think the disappointment with Spence is that he clearly is a top quality right back. Um, it sounds from what Farker was saying yesterday, like this um, this knee ligament won't need surgery or, or doesn't appear that it will at the moment, looking at a number of weeks. So it didn't make it sound like it was particularly serious, but did equally say that he wasn't totally clear at that point. It still needed further further assessment. But, you know, the the reality of, of Spence being absent is that you need big, big performances um, from Luke Ayling because that will be his shirt for as long as Spence is out. Weeks, not months, Phil. Weeks, not months. Mm, yes. Happy memories of that. <laughs> uh, did it feel to you a little bit like yesterday was something of a watershed moment, almost like this was the start of the season to some to some extent? Uh, yeah, slightly. Um, a little bit loath to say that because it, the picture could be different by the end of this week, Hull away on Wednesday and, and then Watford on Saturday, you, you, it, they will need to be followed up with good results to look like the, the or to be the, the kind of outstanding win that it was. But I think you can hear in everything that Fark is saying that he feels as if they're moving into calmer waters now. I think he feels like the, the, the quality of the performances will develop on the basis that there's nothing else to focus on now, nothing else to think about and no other distractions. They're probably... It was the, the contradiction of the transfer window, wasn't it? That they needed players badly and they needed the squad to be, you know, to change quite drastically. So they needed the window. But at the same time, I don't think there could have been many clubs who are more anxious for the window to end, just to get themselves out of the cycle of players wanting to leave, trying to get players through the door, um, the, the issues with Nonto's contract, everything else. 
the end of the transfer window does tend to bring clarity and, and a bit of calmness. And I think, crucially, they came out of it with something close to the, the sort of resources that they need. Proof being the pudding over the course of the season. But they do feel like they've got a chance. And yet to Hull on Wednesday, we should preview that because um, they're above us in the table. Do you know what I realised yesterday? I've not looked at the table until, like, well, basically after this game, like last night, today. I had no idea what the table was. I didn't know that Preston were top. And I didn't no, know. I, I, until last night when I got on the train and flicked open my laptop and thought, because I, I try not to bother with the table through the first month of the season. It's not that it's totally irrelevant. I think if you're Middlesbrough at the moment and you're bottom of the table with, with one point, you, you're already thinking to yourself, we need to get it together or we're only you know a, a small number of games away from big and awkward questions being asked. But for everybody else, it's it's levelling off. And that's not to pretend that Preston won't be chuffed to bits with the way they've started. They will be. And it's not to say either that Leicester's form isn't looking pretty ominous generally. But yeah, I, it looks like Hull have started pretty well. Um, but then again, having seen Birmingham at St Andrews, I'm quite surprised to see them in the top six already. I think it just goes to show that you do need a much greater spread of games in order to get a clear picture of, of who is what and, and who's going to do what. But I feel... With Leeds, like we're starting to get a, a firmer grasp on what they are and, and what they can do. And I definitely like the signs of what I'm seeing. And what's lovely coming off the back of Sunday and then heading into this game on Wednesday, I mean, it is a blooming tight turnaround, is that one, is thinking, well, we seem to be getting the run of things a little bit to a certain extent away from home because teams, as you say, are, are sort of choosing now to come at us a little bit more because they have to because that's just the nature of playing at home, isn't it? You're expected to go out there and, and dominate a game. So we can go into the whole game with optimism. I'm looking forward to it now, thinking that we've we've got a good shout here on um, on Wednesday if we uh, if we can reproduce what we've seen both at Ipswich and then again at Millwall on Sunday. There's the option for a bit of rotation as well. We'll see Farker's press conference tomorrow, and I'm, I'm sure we'll get into that discussion about who, if anyone, needs rested, and not rested in the sense that they've played a lot of games. Um, so far, but rested in the sense that the turnaround is relatively quick from from Sunday to Wednesday, and um, you've never had a, a firmer focus on sports science than you do now. A lot of attention is paid to you know players in the red zone um, when it comes to fitness levels and and everything else. But if he did need to tweak his midfield, he has the players to do it. Um, if he did need to change other areas of of his side, like um, like his attack, he does have ways of of doing that. Players like Dan James and and so on. The, the only observation I had of the bench yesterday was that if you got another centre forward on there, and I'm thinking Bamford, really, you put another nine on there and I think you have really the spread of players that you would want to change a game um, and to, to influence a game. Um, as much as I like Gilhart, I still feel that that's probably what's not quite there at the moment. But it didn't sound, even though Bamford is missing these three games, it didn't sound like he was a million miles away. And I know we've said that so many times over the past two or three years, but I think it's probable that he will be back in the in the picture fairly soon. As we've said a, a number of times, I think, on, on this show and, um, and the other square ball shows, it means now with Pirro there, he can just come back and be eased into it. There's no need to chuck him in at the deep end yeah. or having to mentally rely on him, thinking, well, if Bamford doesn't score the goals, where are they going to come from? Um, it, it feels like the squad's a lot more balanced now. I also don't think that Pirro's the sort of player who'll be wanting to rotate at all. I don't think he'll be the sort of player who's going to want to be in and out of the team. I think he'll want to play all the time, he want to score all the time. Um, I think it'd be difficult forward to shift. But you're right. It almost means that for the first time, you know, since the end of that Premier League season when Bamford scored 17 times, for the first time, Bamford can return without this big narrative 
around him of is he going to score goals and if he isn't then who the hell is it has changed and again you know we, we use this word all the time but it's it's the obvious thing to do isn't it the obvious thing to do it wasn't as if it was a cheap thing to do Piro you know Ten million pounds is, is big money by the standards of, of the championship, but it was you know year left on his contract. Striker who's shown that he's twenty goal forward in this division, and I think fitting in pretty nicely to to Farker's specific tactics. Open goal, yeah, absolutely. What what do you think to Wednesday's game? Then what represents a good result? Would we be happy with a draw, or should we go for all three? Why not all three? Well, why not all three? But I don't think we'll be killing each other if it's a draw particularly will we um, and it's still that stage of the season where things need to settle down slightly I thought it was really telling after the Wednesday game where Farker referenced himself the the way in which Norwich has started in the, the first season when they won the championship title under him trying to, to say to people you don't need to be moving at pace at, at this stage you have got time to, to gather momentum you have got time to iron out flaws and to work on little traits that aren't quite happening for you or, or, or to get the team exactly as it, it needs to be. But he's a bright guy. He, he's a very good coach. He knows that you don't want to be saying that as October wears on, as November wears on. There has to come a point at which your form is is fluent and, and flowing. I think with that win at Millwall behind him, he won't think of Hull or Watford as easy games, which they definitely aren't. But I think he'll think of them as winnable. Absolutely. I think that's the nice thing about this division you look at all these fixtures, the strength of our squad, the balance of our squad now, which feels pretty much there, give or take. And uh, I don't look at any fixture and think, wow, we can't win that. In the same way that you do in the Premier League, you go into like the Man City game and you go, well, we're not getting anything here. Well, we we got spoiled in the championship with Bielsa because the football was so good. And some of the moments were, were so exceptional that you find yourself wondering if you'd ever see anything quite like it again. I have to say, like one of, one of the, the hidden strengths of Bielsa's team was the counter-attacking play because largely they did what it said on the tin. You know, they, they were heavily, heavily possession-based. They liked to play in the opposition's half. Loads of games in the championship where they were just kind of camped around the final third and very, very astute and clever when it came to knowing how to win games. But some of the best goals scored under Bielsa were on the counter-attack. Some absolutely brilliant end-to-end moves. I've got to say, I think that one on Sunday was up there with most of them. It really was. Like, it's proper, I'm writing this in the piece today, it's like coining a 1990s phrase, but it was proper sexy football. That, <laughs> you know, that's really, really quality goal. And Fark was right to talk it up afterwards. So he should, you know, that's quite that's quite special by the standards of the championship. Mm. So a good day at the office all round is, I think, yeah. probably the best way to, uh, to categorise it. And plenty to build on, plenty to be encouraged by, I think, at this point. Because I feel, I mean, I'm naturally sort of deep down an optimist but I've genuinely come out of that thinking do you know what we're all right yeah a very good day at an office where leads usually turn up and die you know so that's the difference like is that they, they've gone there and they've they've set about Millwall um with no it wasn't as if Millwall didn't have any of that game it wasn't as if Millwall went on top for for periods of it but I think what you saw was one team who was trying to get in behind with balls over the top, looking for runners, um, almost worked for them a couple of times. But another team who actually had the the precision and the quality to to go through Millwall and and to open them up in in the way that they did. I'd be surprised if we see many better goals than um, Piro's first yesterday. But you'd like to think that there's a bit more where that came from. Well, we'll see. Hopefully on Wednesday we'll. Um... Reflect on the whole game towards the back end of the week in the Friday show, Phil, and um, we'll preview the Watford game and uh, have a good week. I'll speak to you then. Thank you very much. The Square Ball Podcast. 
Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.